0: Welcome back to the Digital Dive, a conversational podcast about tech. My name is Jacqueline and I'm one of your hosts and I'm actually your only host for this episode. Darsh is a little under the weather, so I'm solo hosting the episode this week, but I promise you it will still be a good one. We are going to be talking about the iPhone 13, 13 Pro, and Mini. I actually have them in my hands as we speak, so I'm going to be telling you what I think about them, kind of an exclusive before my full review, and mentioning some stuff that I just have not seen and other reviews. Then we're also going to talk about the behind the scenes of launch day content. So basically what's going on with your favorite creators, like what is actually happening with embargoes and behind the scenes stuff for the videos that you see in your sub feed. We're also going to talk about the Pixel 6 event because that is right around the corner now. The Microsoft Servers event, which was the day I'm recording this, September 22nd. We won't do a breakdown because it's almost a week later now, but I'll just tell you what I think about the announcements and what the announcements were. And then at the end of the episode, I'm actually going to be doing a little Q&A because I asked on Twitter for some questions. If you had any and there were. So we're going to do that. But before we hop into this absolutely packed episode, if you enjoy our work, if you could give us a rating on Apple Podcasts, we set a goal to hit 150 ratings by the end of the year. And that end of the year is coming up super quick. Ratings is literally the only way that we can grow this podcast and make it sustainable so we can keep doing it. So it would mean the world to us if you can give us a rating. If you really enjoy the episode, you can share it with a friend. Let's roll the intro and then we're going to talk about all the stuff. First piece of business. Let's talk about iPhone 13, 13 Pro, Mini, and Max. Okay, so starting out with the Max, which I know is kind of an unconventional move, but let's just start there. The Max is definitely my favorite, I think, out of all of them. I have not used a Max in a while as my primary phone, but even for reviewing. And I kind of forgot how nice it is to have a big display like that. My everyday iPhone is the iPhone 12 Pro. So it's like the smaller phone. And that honestly makes a lot more sense, like for the social atmosphere, like going to parties or going out to restaurants and stuff. But because of COVID, like that's much less important right now, hopefully goes back to being important. But because of that, I'm kind of toying with the idea of switching to the Max for the time being. And the reason I like it is because of the screen size. Obviously, the screen is significantly larger, but the reasons why the Max was really impressive in years past is actually not as significant now. So in years past, it used to have better camera tech. And that was like one of the incentives to upgrade to it. But this year, actually, the Pro and the Pro Max have the same exact camera tech, which I'm super stoked about. I think that was a good move on Apple's part to not kind of differentiate between the two because some people just do not want a massive phone, but they don't want to give up the premium Pro name and the features that come with that. I also am a fan of the fact that they kept the colors the same on both. So Pro Max is really only for you if you want a big phone. If not, then get the Pro. I think that it's also important to kind of think about the lineup as a whole. So I kind of just plunged us right into deep diving this, but let's just go back a little bit and talk about the fact there are four phones. So you have the 13 mini, the 13, the 13 pro and the 13 pro max. Now let's talk about which each one is trying to aim for. Cause I think Apple is really trying to create a situation in which they can have a phone to sell whatever price point you want and whatever form factor you want, because their goal is to get as many iPhone users as possible to help their service based business model, which is basically getting on the software so they can sell you reoccurring services like Apple TV+, Plus, iCloud storage, app store purchases, subscriptions and podcast apps, etc. So 13 mini still to me is honestly a weird one. I think 12 mini last year did not sell as well as they assumed it would. I actually just made a full video on the Nothing But Tech YouTube channel about that, how like they switched 2 million units of iPhone 12 minis to pros last year because they had overestimated how much they were going to sell. And I think the reason why is because it's kind of in like the pricing value of death in their lineup, where the mini is like 699 So it's definitely a premium phone, but it's not ultra premium like the Pro or the 13 or the Pro Max, right? Those are getting close to the 1000 if not $1,000. And it's not as cheap as the SE2, which is like $399. And that's a small phone as well. So if you really want a compact small phone, and price is important to you, you're going to get the SE2. And if you really want a premium phone, then you're probably going to buy the regular 13, not the Mini. But there still is an opportunity for it to do well. And I think the opportunity is the fact that now the battery life is improved. That was another major gripe with the 12 Mini last year. The battery life was not that great. And it was kind of like an actual thing that you had to think about Can I buy this phone? Will I be near a charger most days? Now, the 13 minute is adding like an hour of extra battery life. So, that could honestly make all the difference. I'm testing it. I've been using it at this point for around 30 hours or 36, maybe now. So, it's definitely not long enough to give you a definitive, like, this is what it's going to be. But I will do that in the full review. So, stay tuned. Let's talk about the other differences. Darshan and I honestly did like a whole previous podcast episode all about this. So, I'm not going to bore you by re going through it. But in terms of like how those differences actually translate, so the Pro and Pro Max both have. Of macro mode whereas the regular 13 does not and the macro shots are pretty good actually so the way it works is it automatically switches to the ultra eye lens you can get this really close minimum focus distance that allows you to get these really interesting detailed shots of a close-up subject that you just could not get without macro mode and i've been seeing some people say like oh but couldn't i just zoom in after Macro shots look distinctly different. So no, you can't. Like macro shots have a very different vibe to them that looks different than zooming in because how close you are to a subject affects the perception of the subject. So when you get closer, there's like a little bit more distortion, but also detail versus like zooming in. And speaking of zoom, the 13 not having a telephoto is actually a bummer. Like genuinely, I think that that is remiss on a phone that is going to probably be like the phone that most people will get when they buy a new iPhone this year. I feel like it's going to be the de facto option. I'm a little bit bummed, not going to lie, that it does not have a telephoto. I think it was better that they included the ultra ride. Like if I had to pick between telephoto and ultrawide, I'd go with the ultrawide. Speaking of that, ultrawide has gotten some major improvements and they are noticeable. So the ultrawide has 47% more light gets into images. It looks crisper overall. There's also less of a difference now between the primary and the ultrawide, which is important. Like if you put multiple lenses on a phone, they should be pretty similar and like part of the same family. And these definitely look more similar in color tone. Another interesting thing actually that I noticed when I opened up the phones was the fact that the phones now give you the color profile options, So you can decide between standard profile, vibrant, more blue, which is nice because then it applies that same effect to all your photos. So it's like kind of different than editing in post. I like standard because it gives the most flexibility, but this is like an interesting feature that Android has obviously had for many years, but it's cool to see it on the iPhone. Wow, (laughs) solo hosting is harder than I expected. Darsh, I miss you. Let's just keep chugging along though because there's a lot more here. So those are the main things that I've noticed so far with the iPhone 13 and 13 Pro, 13 mini, 13 Pro Max. The last thing that I'll say on those phones before I move on to like the behind the scenes aspect is that the 13, the pink on that, very, very subtly pink. Like it is not the most pink thing in the world. It looks honestly off-white in most lighting. And then if the light catches it just right and you know what to be looking for, then it looks like pink. So I would have loved a hot pink. And that is all I will say about that. So let's move on to the behind the scenes of launch day content, kind of showing you what work goes on behind the videos that you see in your sub box. If you're not interested in hearing about this creative perspective, skip ahead like until after the break. and. And after the break, we're going to talk about Pixel 6 event and Microsoft Service event. So I would skip ahead like 10 minutes maybe. But if you are interested, I I do think this is an interesting session or it would be interesting to me if I were listening to it. But I just wanted to give you that little disclaimer. Six years ago, before I was a tech YouTuber, I used to love iPhone day and any launch day, you'd wake up and it felt like a present like you just got inc- so much content from your favorite creators of all time all in one day it was like a holiday basically and now seeing it from the creator perspective I still absolutely love it but it has changed the way I view it a little bit so I kind of want to talk through what goes on on the creator perspective obviously I only know my own experience but I have talked to other creators so there are some things that are universal First thing, at this time of year, so many of us are working on so many different projects. Like there are many things that are launching consecutively, some things that you guys haven't seen yet because they're under embargo. So like we'll get briefings for them before the product launch, which means that oftentimes we're working the night before the video is actually going to go live. So like let's say the iPhone 13 video goes live on the 23rd. We're probably working 22nd at like 3am because there's no real way to get ahead because there are so many videos going back to back to back obviously if you have a team, it's a little bit different, but right now I'm like doing all aspects of the video myself. So it's a grind, you know? And also Apple, it seems did their review units in two waves. So the first wave, it seems like were the people that got it five days before the embargo launched. And then I got it like two hours before the embargo launch, which I'm so like stoked to be in the review units and very grateful to be working with Apple to review these, but that obviously creates a different dynamic. So my video is not up at the time I'm recording this on the 22nd. It should be up definitely by the time you're listening to it. But I decided like, let me see what everyone Posting and let me try to make a unique video because embargo days actually tend to be worse for the creators because there are so many videos that people tend to watch like two or three and then call it quits, which is definitely a bummer for a lot of creators because people put like 20 30 hours into a video and it doesn't get seen. However, the market kind of picks the best videos in a way, like the videos that are the most unique or the most interesting idea, rise to the top. A lot of it also is the thumbnail. So that's like the behind the scenes of like why people, you often see creators like saying that they're exhausted and you're like, we had the device for five days. Like, what are you doing with your life? Like, why is the video just getting done now? It's often because there are so many other events happening at the same time. Like for example, the Microsoft event was today. There's briefings for that earlier in the week. So that's the deal with that. I also have like a new appreciation for all the creators that I used to watch six years ago because it is a grind to get all the information that you want in the video. And also oftentimes updates will come for devices literally right before you film the video and then you have to kind of edit the video and change what you said because the update has changed things and then you still have to get the video out on time. So much respect for creators. I think sometimes it can be a little stressful as a creator. Like you have so much time pressure and your video will only really do well if it's either an incredibly unique idea or you get it up first. The second you get the device in your hand, it's kind of like a grind. And today I've been working now for like 20 hours straight probably at this point. I was like feeling super stressed out. I also had a bunch of business calls today, which was just terrible planning on my part to book them on the same day. But they were actually for exciting stuff that I think you guys are gonna be amped about. So stay tuned. I was like so so stressed out. There's cables everywhere in the studio. I'm like tripping over stuff. I'm like flying into the room, cables and tripods and lights. Nothing was looking the way I wanted it to look. The lighting was looking terrible. I had to keep moving lights and the lights are like giant and heavy. So now I'm like hot and sweating. And then I'm on camera and there's like four lights on me and they're making me even hotter. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to lose it. And then I was sitting there and I'm like, you know what, like, let me just sit for a second and like enjoy the moment because it's a dream to get to do this for a job. And it's also a dream to be like one of the only people in the world to have the phone early, right? And to be able to make content for people that actually enjoy my content and, Talk about tech, like how insane is that? And then everything like lifted. I was like, all right, like chill. You're gonna get this video up and get it up and just enjoy the process. And now I'm excited to film the bureau. So I think like the perspective is important. I think sometimes it's so easy to get caught up in like the day-to-day monotony and the tasks that you have to get done that it's hard to also realize how insane it is and how far we've come with YouTubers being actual media. I don't know if that was interesting to you. Let me know on Twitter, honestly, if you think it was. You can either tweet me personally or tweet better would be the podcast handle, which is Digital Dive Pod. I feel like sometimes there's like a lot of mystery about what goes on with the creation process, and I kind of want to demystify that if I can. So we're going to head to break, but before we do, I want to tell you one thing that I think you probably have not seen in other reviews about the 13, 13 Pro, and 13 Mini. The notch is 20% slimmer, but it is slightly longer, so it actually cuts into 18 by 9 video very slightly, and once you see it, you can see unsee it. So I'm sorry, but I just ruined that for you. Otherwise, the display is great. And we're gonna head to a quick break and then come back and talk about more tech. All right, welcome back from the break and a quick reprieve from my voice. Let's continue. One of the biggest events in tech YouTube is going to be the Pixel 6 launch. Google is really doing a very untraditional type of marketing here where they're really just showing the full design and hosting events to show the design. Like they did an event at one of their flagship stores where there was like a 360 pano view of the design. They're really embracing the fact that it leaked and building a lot of hype. And I think it's actually working for them. It's a really good marketing strategy because the design looks so different than anything they've done. And so uniquely like Google at the same time and different than any smartphone on the market right now getting people to talk. So there's been tons of leaks. Tech just leaked another thing on their site, which is about pre-order dates. They currently have pre-orders for the Pixel 6 and 6 Pro happening on Tuesday, October 19th and launched on Thursday, October 28th, which... Means that we're in for a very exciting Techtober, if that is true. He says that he's not sure if Google is planning to host their official event, but thinks that pre-orders will start on the nineteenth. And honestly, I think that we could see an event around there. It feels like a lot of the Pixel events are around the latter part of October. I think in terms of like what we need to see from the Pixel six, it feels like we need to see improved camera hardware because the camera software is amazing, but some phones are outpacing it now because the hardware just allows them to do more things. So we need to see better improvements hardware, which I think we're planning to see. And then we also just need to see a good price point and a good value proposition and then incredible marketing because the Pixel devices are really good, but Google just has not marketed them nearly as much as I think they have to or should. And it seems like this year is kind of a make or break really important year for the Pixel. So hopefully they crush it with marketing. They're starting out strong with this unconventional show the device before launch, and it will be interesting to see what they do to continue. I think a really good idea would be to do like campaigns of shots that have come off the phone, which they kind of do, but I would do it to a greater scale and put them everywhere. And then I also, Also think like general product placement in videos and stuff is going to be important like TV shows just to create general brand awareness and then Really, what it's gonna come down to is just like a good price. Because if the Pixel is priced at a reasonable rate, I think a lot of people will buy it that maybe used to buy the OnePlus phone because now we're seeing this merger of OnePlus with other brands combining their software into color OS. And that's supposed to be early 2022. So it could kind of be the perfect time for Google to come in and take some of that market. You know what could actually like stop the show? The Pixel Fold. Now this is just a rumor right now, but there are some very well respected industry experts saying that they expect Google to announce a foldable phone before the end of the year, and a foldable is a pretty big move. So the speculation and the rumor is that it's going to be a foldable in the same style as like the Z Fold from Samsung, which is basically an interior display and an exterior display, and it's going to have the same LTPO OLED panel, which probably will mean that there's going to be a crease, like there's really no way to do the displays right now without a crease, and it also is not going to feel exactly like glass, but the fold actually feels pretty close. It definitely is better than in the past. Honestly, this is kind of a weird move to me. I think they should stick to what they know a bit and not launch a fold at around the same time. However, if we're headed in the future of foldable phones and unique form factor phones, which it feels like we are right now, then it makes sense to kind of at least get a gen one out so you can see what flaws you have and then iterate and improve. Because like, for example, Samsung now has three times they've done this. They have a sense of what's going to go well and what's not going to go well. Apple or Google has never done it before. Like they don't know what the process is like or how the market's going to take it companies first-gen products are often not the best. So Google, I feel like is going to kind of get the flaws out of the way with this one. And also it could just be amazing. The other benefit of like launching later to play like devil's advocate, the benefit of launching later is that you can see what compromises other manufacturers have made and what areas they have not done that well in, and then you can improve upon that. So there's kind of a double-edged sword here, but now since Google has seen Samsung and what they've done for a couple generations, they're now better able to see what works and what doesn't. And I can bet that the display is going to feel like the newer Samsung phone and not the older one, and that it's going to have thinner bezels in the original fold. So there are some benefits to waiting, but it's just like timing when to get into the market. It seems like Google has taken the smartphone business a little bit more seriously now, which is exciting. So time will tell. It's September 22nd right now. So if the rumors are right, we're less than a month away from the Pixel 6 and 6 Pro, and I cannot wait, genuinely to get them in hand and test them out. Fourth topic of this week before we hop into the Q&A, and I know this is a bit of a shorter episode, but I didn't want to just like waste your time. And I feel like a 40 minute monologue for me would feel a bit long. It's definitely changes the dynamic to not be conversational, but I'm just kind of picturing that you're here with me and we're talking. So let me know how I did. If you have any constructive feedback for me, like I am all ears because I want to get better at the solo hosting thing as well, just in case Darsha's traveling or something comes up. With that all being said, let me hop off my soapbox and talk about the Microsoft Surface event. So this event, I almost kind of feel like was a bit forgotten today because the iPad mini embargo lifted this morning. So a lot of people were focused on that. And when I tweeted about the event, people were like, oh my God, thanks for the reminder. Like I forgot that was happening today. So I feel like this may not have been the best time to do an event, but they did it. They probably had no idea that the embargo was going to lift today because the device doesn't technically come out until the 24th. So they did the event today, and there are some pretty significant things here. So the first one is a Surface Laptop Studio. It's a new two-in-one with a flip-down 14-inch display. It kind of looks like the regular desktop studio, but in a laptop form factor. So if you're super interested in drawing or typing or having that type of flexibility, it is super nice, and this screen definitely can move to a plethora of different arrangements. They also updated the Surface Pro. So there's now a Surface Pro 8. It has beefed up specs and a 1080p camera. There's a Surface Go 3 which is an affordable iPad competitor, kind of, but I feel like there's like honestly like no genuine iPad competitor because of software and ecosystem. Then there's also the Surface Pro X, which is a two-in-one, and it's now cheaper than in the past, which is good to see. So they've kind of split the lineup a little bit with the Surface Pro 8 and the X, just like they did last year, and they're continuing that trend. And then I think the most exciting announcement was the Surface Duo 2. So it's the same dual-screen phone, but with a ton of upgrades. So it looks like they fixed a lot of the flaws from the initial dual Screen one starting with giving it a uh, actual recent processor, the Snapdragon 888 chip, three rear cameras, and an 8.3 inches of the workspace. It still costs $14.99, so it kind of is like naturally paired up against the Fold 3. But I think that those improvements are pretty significant, plus the hinge on the device is actually a notification bar, like it doubles as that. So one of the big complaints with last year's Duo was the fact that you couldn't actually see what was going on in your phone. Like there was no way to know easily if you're getting a text or a call, whereas now the Hinge will basically light up different colors and show you the time there, which I think is pretty useful. I think it would have been cool if they put a display on the outside of the Duo as well, maybe like three inch display, but the phone is so thin that if they added that, it would probably thicken the phone. So maybe that was the reason why. I'm still excited about it though. I Honestly, I didn't get to test out the initial Duo, so I'm really hoping I get to get my hands on the Duo 2. I still would pick a foldable over it. To be completely honest, I think foldables are cooler and more useful. But the Duo definitely looks really futuristic, and it's cool technology that has less compromises because the display isn't actually folding, it's the hinge, which means that durability is less of an issue. That's it on the tech portion of this episode. If you want to hang out with me now, I'm going to be answering some questions and then also talking about a couple things I like this week before I throw us to outro. If you're leaving right now, I just want to thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. But if you're staying with me and you want to hear answers to questions, we'll start it off with the first one. What do you think about when you make a collaboration with other creators? great question. The main thing that I want to do from a creator perspective, if I'm pitching another creator, is how can I add more value to this relationship than they have to give me? How can I pitch them a unique value proposition where like we're both getting benefit from it? So I'll give an example that I've given a lot of different times in talks. Many years ago, before I knew Sarah Dietschy and was friends with her, I really just loved her content. I still do, but I really wanted to work with her. And so I had just gotten the iPhone 8 and it was really hard to get that year for some reason, like had sold out. And I stayed up, pre-ordered, and I got it. I knew that she'd probably want to make something around that because she was super into cameras and stuff. So I sent her an email and I was like, hey, just got the iPhone 8. Would love to make a video with you. And I honestly think that that was probably like first of all the goodness of her heart of wanting to work with me but also bringing a little at least a little bit of value to the partnership of like okay this is a phone that most people can't have and we can make a video about it definitely help me get that obviously the goal is that you bring a ton of benefit to the creator I think sometimes though like creators that I've worked with they're just so nice that they're willing to like collab with you just because you guys are friends so there doesn't always need to be like a genuine significant value prop exchange but if you don't know the person and you're not friends there kind of has to be in order for to get them to read the email I think the other thing that people don't think about is like when you work with someone you're kind of giving them a small piece of your personal brand and likeness, they better be a good person and not have a sketchy history. So sometimes I'll see an email from someone and I honestly think the pitch is awesome and they seem cool, but I can't find anything about them online. Like, Are they honest? Are they genuine? Are they like a good person? And I just don't want to work with a random person that could have a sketchy past or have done moral things in the past. So I think that's also one. Just being in the space for a number of years helps you build up credibility and then people are more likely to work with you. So it's not really a subcount thing, honestly. I've never heard a creator say they won't work with another creator because they're small in terms of sub count. I think it's more so like, can I trust you? Do you bring value to the partnership? Are you easy to work with? Would it be a fun video? Those are the main things that most creators think about when they are deciding to work with other YouTubers. Next question. How does it feel when you're drawing on the Fold 3? This is going back to foldables. You come across a crease in the center. Is it annoying enough to ruin a great drawing? So I am a terrible artist. Kind of a hard question to answer because even if all conditions were perfect, I would make the worst thing in the world. That said, you definitely do feel the crease. So maybe if you're an artist, I guess you kind of have to decide would that affect you if you were drawing, if the screen dipped in a little bit. My guess is it probably would if you're trying to draw a straight line. But you can probably compensate for that. What new features do you think you'll be reviewing on the latest tech in 30 years time? Okay, 30 years time, I will be, 50 hopefully like i'm still loving youtube and able to do youtube right i feel like ar glasses are going to be a pretty big thing some of the major tech players that have a lot of influence over our lives like Mark Zuckerberg or Tim Cook seem really passionate about the future of AR and because they're willing to invest in it it's probably going to be a big thing and they seem to think that phones will become a lot less significant like AR will be able to put displays anywhere you want so i think it will be something to do with AR glasses or some version of that that's my guess hopefully we're in a good enough state in the world where there can be stuff like that and we're not focusing on bad things going on in the world like a pandemic or climate change like we're experiencing now hopefully it's all good things you know Got a little deep there if Apple never made the iPhone, who do you think would move that technology forward? IG, Google, Microsoft. Oh, interesting question. So when Apple came out with the iPhone, a lot of people were not thinking about a full touchscreen display, right? There was a physical keyboard. And I think if Apple didn't come out with it, that probably would have been around for another year or two. Looking at who the major players were when Apple was, maybe Motorola and Droid would have been the player. I could also definitely see Samsung or Google, but I do feel like it would have been the Razer that pushed it forward. When are we having our next live stream? Oh, okay. Good question. So for this one, actually Actually, if you own an MBT times dive tap card, I'm actually doing an exclusive event in the MBT server for you. There's already a ton of people in that server that have the verified role of a cardholder community member. So if you want to join that server, I'll leave a link in the description and then you can just verify yourself in there and we can have that exclusive event. If however, you're not a customer of that card, don't worry. I'm still going to be doing tons of live events and maybe some other products launching in the future, which I'm stoked about. Next question, where do you see yourself in five years professionally? And I think we'll do three more questions after this and then we'll round it off. So hopefully this has been interesting. Five years professionally is such a hard question because so many things change and I've done so many things this year that I never would have imagined myself doing even a year. Ago. So it's hard to say. I think in an ideal world, like if I feel the same way in five years as I do now, the way I think would be cool is if I was running a coffee company with the YouTube channel. So, like if I devoted four days to the YouTube channel and then one day to running a coffee company, brew was something I'm so passionate about. And I also think that there's a lot of opportunity in that industry. Having a direct to consumer product like that is so fun because I'm definitely very entrepreneurial and I enjoy like coming up with marketing ideas and packaging ideas and events that we could do and ways to create a community around a product and things like that, that I think it would be a lot of fun for me to do that. And I also genuinely love coffee. So if I never made a cent off it, I would just love it. So I think that that'd be really cool. Five years from now, I hope the YouTube channel is at a million subscribers, putting that out into the universe. Those are the main ones. And then the last really big one is growing the team. I've been able to work with so many incredible people in the last few weeks and I'm hoping even sooner than five years from now we're all in an office space together and we're able to work if you know like Marquez's team kind of like that where we can work and create awesome content kind of just keep building this thing I love YouTube so much I love making videos I love talking about technology I think that that would be so incredible darsh and I talk all the time about the podcast and growing that to eventually become something that we could do as like a part-time thing it would be really cool to have a physical studio with darsh where we could record the podcast those are just some goals there's so many other ones but I I don't want to talk about them yet because I kind of just want you to be shocked when you see them. So, question Your channel's not as big as other tech channels like Marquez and Casey. How? Well, first of all, thank you so much. If I had to, like, critically analyze my channel I honestly don't think I was making good content up until recently and I bet I'll feel that way again in like a year I'll be like wow my content in 2021 was terrible as an artist like you're constantly evolving and I think that's a great thing but I think the main thing right now this year is just producing consistently like I really got to get a weekly video up there's been a ton of stuff going on behind the scenes that you guys don't see in my professional and personal life that have kind of prevented certain videos from going up or have taken a lot more time than anticipated but those are excuses and it is really important to me to be weekly and I've just put some systems into place that I think will help a lot with consistency. If I change that, I'm really putting in so much time to make them good that if I post it consistently, I think the channel would grow. So thank you so much for that question and for the compliment. It means a lot. And that is the answer. So let's do another question. There are so many questions. Wow. Why do you like tech and content creation? That's a good one, honestly. It's kind of an existential one. I'm happy to answer it. I like tech because tech kind of, I think, is so integral to our lives. And I've always been really interested in tech. Like when I was a little kid, one of my first memories ever is working a fax machine and making a copy for my great grandma. She needed a copy of a document and I was three years old and she was like, oh, I'll just wait for your mom. I was like, no, let me do it. That's like one of my first experiences ever with tech that I remember and like tech enabling something. Like I was able to help my great grandma. So I kind of just feel like tech enables so many things and enables connection it enables creation. It enables learning. There's so many good positive things about tech. I love it for that reason. I also love it because it's an engineering feat and it's kind of a marvel. The reason I like content creation is because I really enjoy connecting with people and telling stories. And I never really realized this until recently, but every single job that I've ever wanted in my life has had those two things in common. When I was really young, I wanted to be like a singer and obviously connecting with people and telling a story is integral to that job. And then when I was a little older after that, I really wanted to be a teacher and being a teacher obviously is connecting with with people and telling stories. Like if you're a good teacher, that's what you do. Then I wanted to be like an actor, which again is connected with people and telling stories. And then eventually like YouTuber, right? So content creation just allows you to do those two things so well. And it allows you to take an idea in your head that literally you could not express to making it expressible. Like I could not express some of the thoughts I have about phones or laptops without editing a video together and having music and pacing and animations and B-roll. Like all of that together helps inform your point so much better than if you were just to speak it to someone. Like it enables this self-expression that, is unmatched. So that's definitely why I love it. I think also we're in a really good era where the barrier to entry to become a creator is much lower than it used to be. Like the starving artist trope is hopefully becoming just a trope and not something that actually happens all the time. And I just feel like people are supporting content creators so much and you by listening to this are. So thank you. With that, I hope that you guys enjoy this. I feel like Darsh and I talk so much about tech that maybe you don't get to know us as like people too. So let us know if you want Darsh to do a Q&A at the end of the next episode. I think that would kind of be fun. Maybe he can answer some questions like I just did, or if you hated this and you're like, oh my God, do not do this again. Also let us know on Twitter. We will not be offended. We literally just want to know because we want to make this as good as possible. I want to thank you so much for listening to this episode. It really means the world. I love hanging out with you guys and talking about tech and you guys give me a platform to do it. So thank you so much. We will catch you next week at 7 a.m. Central, 8 a.m. Eastern. Thank you so much to Odile Constantine for our incredible intro and outro music. Thank you to Luke Fabricatory for the incredible editing. That's it. Thank you guys so much for listening and I'll catch you next week.